Let's, um, let me ask you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4. And maybe you notice the title of my sermon this morning, Why Fall Back? This is not Fall Back Sunday, okay? Now look, here's the truth. The, the, the title for the sermon came out of the text as I was working with the text, but all week long, Aaron has been telling me, oh, well, I think this might be Fallback Sunday, and I was like, score, you know, well, I found out the truth, and it wasn't, so anyway, you got another month or so before Fallback happens, I think it happens in November, uh, just uh, so you can uh, tuck that away in your uh, schedules and plans. And, you know, it's always fun when Fallback Sunday to see who arrives on time and who's uh, not here on time and, and uh, to see who uh, kept up with it. That's all, you know, it's, it's at least a, a gives me a chuckle anyway. So um, this is not Fallback Sunday, uh, and we're glad that you're here and that you didn't fall back, okay? So um, we're in Galatians chapter 4. Uh, it's, it's in your pew Bible on page 974 if you are using one of the pew Bibles. I hope you will use your scriptures. Pull the Bible out. Uh, let's read the scriptures this morning. Uh, I'm excited about this text and uh, what we have before us today uh, out of God's Word. So let me read for us Galatians 4, verses 8 to 11. We're going to take that one single paragraph this morning. This is the inerrant, infallible, trustworthy Word of God. So this morning, let us give careful attention uh, to the reading and to the hearing of the Word. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. And then Paul continues his thoughts on that in the rest of the, the chapter here. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish that I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Do you hear a pastor's heart? Do you hear Paul's heart aching 
over what was going on in the Galatian church. You know, we've all probably at some point uh, in our lives come to a place in life where, where the way forward in life was, was too hard. Where the, way, where the way forward was too difficult and we just wanted to turn around and go back to where we had been. If we could just start over, if we could just do that again, maybe we would do it better. Maybe, maybe we've tried to, to make strides in our careers or, or in our relationships with, with uh, our walk in Christ or, or in, in doing that. Things just got harder and harder and not easier. And then it just dawned on us to go any further would, would, would require more out of us than we're really willing to give, than we want to give. And, and so we've glanced over our shoulders at the past and figured out that let's just turn around. Let's just go back to where we were. Let's, let's, let's don't move forward. Let's, let's don't face the difficulties. That's where the Galatians were. That's, that's what verses 8 to 11 really are, are about. Paul is addressing that fact that the Galatians have found themselves in a tough spot. They're, they're, the way forward doesn't look obvious or easy to them. And so they decide they're going to go back to the things that are familiar to them, the things that they're comfortable with, uh, especially to the things that, that they had lived like before they had come to trust and put their faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to go back to the elemental things of the world, Paul says there. And, and they're going to go back to, and it's in a, Judish, in a Jewish kind of way, to um, uh, the, the, the law and um, to those kind of things. Look at what he says in verse 10 of our text. Paul laments. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. In other words, you worshiped these other um, uh, seasonal gods. You, you worship these other, these other deities, these other things, and you want to go back to that. I was thinking about Galatians. You know, obviously I've been thinking about Galatians for a while, but I was, I was thinking about it particularly this week. It's almost like the Galatian church has the Stockholm Syndrome, isn't it? I mean, you know, you know what the Stockholm Syndrome is. It's, it's, you, I know you've heard the term it's that psychological response where, where someone who's been held captive uh, begins to identify so closely with their captor uh, that, uh, uh, and, and with their captor's agenda that they are willing uh, to fulfill their captor's agenda no matter what. So they, they kind of buy into someone who has captured them uh, in that way. It first came out with a, a, a group of people, I think there were six people, who were um, captured by a group of bank robbers in Stockholm, Sweden. I'm not going to even try to say the, the first name of the bank. Uh, it's in Swedish, and I don't speak Swedish, uh, but it's, it's some kind of credit bank is what it, uh, it's, it is. And uh, they were held in the vault for six days. You remember that? It was back in 1973, uh, and uh, they were there for six days during the standoff. Um, the uh, Swedish Prime Minister, uh, Olaf uh, Palm, uh, made a telephone call uh, to the captives. And the captive that he spoke to, one of the women in the, uh, in, in, in the vault there that was being held in the vault, actually said to the Prime Minister uh, that she fully trusted her captors but feared that she would die in a police assault on the building. Please don't rescue us. 
That's the Stockholm syndrome. Okay, that's what it looks like. Um, you you know you remember maybe you remember it if if you're my age you'll remember some of these things and I know I'm showing my age a little bit. Um, you younger folks won't remember this, but you remember uh, newspaper heiress uh, Patricia Hearst. Remember her, uh, Patty Hearst, 1974. Ten weeks after being taken by the Symbionese Liberation Army, uh, she was uh, uh, she and her kidnappers robbed a uh, California bank, and um, then there, there was the hostage, cri- hostage crisis, uh, the Iranian hostages in 79 uh, to 81. Um, in 1985, uh, a TWA flight uh, 847 was hijacked. Uh, the passengers underwent a hostage ordeal that went for two weeks. Uh, they had the same kind of response uh, on their release. They were sympathetic to the demands of their kidnappers. Um, another group of people, uh, Terry Anderson, Terry Waite, and uh, Thomas Sutherland, um, captured by a group of Islamist uh, militants in Lebanon, they had the same response. It's a syndrome uh, that uh, develops. Uh, it's happened in uh, the Japanese uh, embassy in Peru. Psychologists say basically they've studied this, that it's a bond that's created when a captor threatens the captive's life and then deliberates over whether or not to take that captive's life and chooses not to kill the captive. Somehow the one who has been captured identifies, appreciates. There's such a relief at the removal of the death threat um, that they, they begin to have feelings of gratitude toward their captor uh, for giving them their lives. And so that's what happens. Stockholm Syndrome, that's what happened in the bank robbing. Uh, that's what happened in those other things. Paul is basically, I think, describing to us the same thing happening in the Galatian church. The Galatians are deserting the one who has called them to himself. They're, they're defecting from the faith and they're wanting to turn back uh, to their idolatrous practices. They want to go back to the old religion, to the old way, to the old idols of their lives. Would that we were in Egypt. We want to go back. It's too difficult for us. You may recall how the Israelites responded to the spies, right? The spies came back after the Israelites were, were taken out of Egypt. The spies went into the promised land. The spies came back. The spies said what? There are giants in the land. We can never take it. You know, there's no way. We can't do this. We, we let's turn back. They wanted to go back to, to Egypt. They were, in fact, Israel became distraught. They became indignant. They actually decided that they wanted to replace Moses as their leader. Did you know that? Did you remember that? Let me give you the quote out of uh, Exodus, or Numbers uh, chapter 14. Um, and all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would that we have died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fail or to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. 
Moses, we not riding with you anymore, buddy. You know, what you're taking us into scares us. We're going back. We need a new leader. We need somebody who will take charge and take us back to where we want to go. That's just, that's in effect what Paul's hearing the Galatians say. Like the Israelites, the Galatians want to go back to slavery. They want to go back to the old way. You'd think it'd be obvious, don't you? I mean, that, that turning back isn't the way forward. Now, you'd think that that would just make sense. Why would you turn back to something that you have, you have rejected because it doesn't work? Why would you want to go back to something that doesn't work? Well, wait a minute. It's comfortable there. I mean, we know how, how life work, works in the old way, right? We're, we, we've been there. We've done that. We have a little bit of a, a picture of, of what's going to happen. We know what's going on there. Usually, we, we see the past as more promising than the future. When the way forward is hard, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. And that's hard. We're going to walk it all, trusting the Lord. That's hard. That's exactly, I think, why going back is so often easier than, than going forward, but it's the wrong solution. When it comes to living out a gospel-rooted life, turning back is not the way forward. It, in fact, it, it's, it's first-class folly. It, it, is, it is foolishness. It is something that we should, we should avoid at all costs. And Paul gets it. The Galatians didn't get it. But Paul understood. And so this time in our text here, where we are today, Paul is once again warning and rebuking them to keep them from plunging into further madness. Stop what you're doing, Galatian church. Think about the, the decisions that you are about to make. Well, let's look at what Paul has to say to and I'm going to call it the New Hope Presbyterian Church of Galatia. What does Paul have to say? As we think about, maybe a word picture is a good idea. Think about a lighthouse. Just picture a lighthouse in, in, your, in your mind's eye, you know. What is a lighthouse for? What's a lighthouse all about? Uh, maybe, maybe, you know, picture the lighthouse at Ponce Inlet or the lighthouse at St. Simon's Island. I, my office, when I was doing the church plant there at St. Simon's, Literally, uh, I was on the second floor, and I looked out across the uh, street, literally across the street, to the post office and to the uh, lighthouse. Saw that thing every day. When you picture in your mind a lighthouse, why, why did they build lighthouses up and down the coast? You know why, right? I mean, it is, it is both a warning and a comfort to the ships at sea, right? It is a warning. Hey, look. There are dangers here. Each one of those lighthouses is painted in a different pattern, and you can identify them by the pattern on the lighthouse. You can know where you are because that lighthouse is, you know, the St. Simon's Lighthouse is distinct from the lighthouse at Ponce Inlet. You know, is distinct from the ones on uh, the Nags Head. They're, they're different. So you know that the rocks are bad here or or the, the, the currents are awful here, or the sandbars are out, or, you know, the reef is bad. It's also a comfort, too, because you know where you are, because you know you're close to land. You're close to being at your destination. That's why the structures are there. Paul 
In, in Galatians chapter 4, it's kind of like a, like a lighthouse. He's giving us a warning. He's beaming a bright light to alert not just the Galatian church, but to alert us. To alert you and me about the dangers of going back to the old things in life. To the old patterns. To, to just doing life because that's the way we've always done it. And to not let the, to, to, to not neglect letting the scriptures change our world and life view. In other words, if you're just doing life, if you're living out the gospel in your life in, in such a way that, that it's just like you've always done it, maybe you need to think about what you're putting into your heart. Maybe you need to think about how is the Word of God changing the way I view reality? How is the Word of God growing me and making me more like the person that I'm called to be? As I parent my children, what does God's Word say to me about how I parent my children? Do I just do it the way my parents did it because they did it and here I am and I'm pretty good? Or do I do it the way the Scriptures call me to do it? Because the scriptures give me the infallible model. What about the way I think or the way I, I uh, interact economically? What do the scriptures have to say about the principles of, of the way we do business in this world? How do the scriptures impact that? You see, we can't just go back to the way we're comfortable we need to let the scriptures be our guiding light, our lighthouse, our, our uh, place of warning and our place of protection and our place of comfort. You know, when you, when you make your life's decisions based on the foundation of the word of God, there is a level of confidence that comes with that that creates great peace in your heart. Paul's warning us to start to think that way. He's talking to the Galatians, and he wants the Galatians to begin to think that way about life. He says, look, don't go back to the, to the old ways of life. You know, the Judaizers who have come in and who have, who have disrupted you and who have, who have kind of pushed you back into Jewish tradition and into keeping the law and to practicing circumcision and to, to doing all the Jewish feasts and all those kind of things, they're basically saying to the Galatians, become like one of us, join us in our misery at keeping the law perfectly. And Paul's going, duh, don't go there. The Galatians were turning back to law-keeping, which is the death of human flourishing and the gospel. You see, the gospel's goal is to turn all the world into the new Jerusalem. To fill the world with true worshipers of God. To bring men and women, boys and girls, to faith in Jesus Christ so that the new heavens and the new earth are realized do you see that that's the big picture here we need to quit thinking small about the gospel you know what i think that sometimes in our shorthand as pastors and as teachers and and just to speak about the gospel we tend to think about the gospel in terms of justification 
And so we define the gospel almost exclusively in light of a, of a legal transaction that takes place between us and God. I want to tell you, I want to correct that in my thinking and in yours. The gospel is so much more full-orbed than just a legal transaction that we need to get our heads around that idea. God created man as a holistic being. He created us in his image. Think about that for just a minute. We reflect God's image in the world. We, we have minds, we have wills, we have affections, we have bodies. Um, we are made as relational creatures. We're, we're to reflect a God who is a God of love. We're to reflect the Trinity and, and who has lived in relationship with one another since before eternity, before, before creation came into being. The Father loves the Son. The Holy Spirit loves the Father. And, and the, it created man in his image and in relationship. And in relationship with the earth. And in relationship with others. And even with a proper relationship with ourselves. So when we talk about the gospel and we talk about the redemption that we experience in the gospel... We're not just talking about the one legal transaction that takes place there. In our shorthand, we tend to define it that way. But when we talk about the change that the gospel brings in your life, it touches everything in your life. The gospel's goal is to, to change all of our uh, thinking, all of our interactions, all of our, all of our being. That means that the answer to the problem of sin is not just merely that single aspect of a relationship with God. And that's where we get it wrong. Sometimes when we share the gospel, someone will make a profession of faith. And they'll say, okay, I've put my faith in Jesus. It's in my pocket. Got it. Good. Now, check. Go on. That relationship with Jesus touches everything else it touches your relationships at work at home it touches the way you think the way you behave the gospel is full orbed and maybe we haven't done you a service in talking in in broader terms about the application of the truth of the gospel so if we're going to talk about the gospel and, and what it means as a, as a believer, as a, as a person to, to flourish as a Christian human being, we need to talk about who God is. We need to talk about what it means to be human. So things like relationships really do matter. And the relationships that were going on in the church in Galatia had moved back from a full-orbed understanding of the gospel to a law-keeping, check-it-off-the-list kind of a faith. You see why Paul's upset? You see why Paul is, is broken? Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. I have also become as you are. Paul says, says I, I beg you, I plead with you to understand what we're talking about. We can't reduce the gospel simply to you're a sinner and God's a judge and you deserve punishment. Oh, that is, that's a great story, but that's not the whole story. I hope you understand that. We, we, 
if we reduce it to you sin and God has, has in Christ has forgiven you your sins, that's, that's great, but, but we've not told it all. God cares about all of life. The gospel is really about the king, and it's about his kingdom, who brings justification by faith alone to his children, but it's much more holistic than just that single idea. Hear me well. We'll never be all we were created to be if we fail to think about the whole impact of the gospel. You know, as elders, when we meet monthly for our session meeting, and deacons too, as, as officers of the church, we are studying uh, a book by uh, Tim Keller. It's called Every Good Endeavor. And basically, Tim Keller talks about uh, the full orb um, impact of the gospel in life and, and talks about how it impacts every aspect of life. I recommend the book to you. You ought to pick one up. It's worthy, it's worthy of your time. It will impact the way you, the, the way you relate at work. It will, it will impact your life on a, on a real basis. I would hurt, just encourage you to, to pick it up. We live for the king and his kingdom, not just on Sunday morning either. Like the Beatles said, eight days a week. You know, we, we live for the king and his kingdom. It's only the gospel that, that real human flourishing takes place within. It's when we understand who we are and who we're made to be that we can flourish as human beings. It touches everything. The Judaizers were teaching the opposite. They were teaching slavery. They had grounded the ship of their faith and they were floundering on the rocks because the Galatians had bought into what the Judaizers were teaching. So let me move on with the text a little bit. Divorced, orphaned, and, or heirs. What's, what's, what's our position? Just imagine for a second, if you will. Imagine a, a baby girl in an orphanage. Man comes along and uh, comes to visit this little girl, this baby girl. And he loves her, and he adopts her, and he takes her home, and he raises her, and he blesses her, and he sees her grow to full maturity, and she grows up calling him father. He's the only father she's ever known. He's the only father uh, that she's ever known, and, and because he's her father, because he first knew her and took her on as his daughter. Get that picture in your head. That's exactly what God has done for us. We know God because He has known us. Because He adopted us. Because He loved us. He is the one who's taken us home. Who has raised us. Who blesses us. Who sees us grow to maturity. He's the one that we call Father. He loves us. Is that our relationship with, your, with our Heavenly Father? Is that where we live? How about the woman at the well? You remember the woman at the well in John 4? God knew, Jesus knew all the sordid details of her life, didn't he? He knew everything there was to know about her. He knew why she was at the well. In the smack dab middle of the heat of the day when nobody else was around. He knew that she went to draw water because she didn't want to have to engage with the other people of the town. And be shunned and be embarrassed because she was a prostitute and because she had been married a, a gazillion times. 
God knew everything there was about her. You know what? Jesus came to the woman at the well. And he didn't come to her, even though he knew everything that she had done, he didn't come to her with condemnation, did he? He didn't come to her that way. He came to her in the light of his grace. At one and the same time, he both brings our sin to the light and his light expels our darkness. He sets us free to enjoy our birthright. That's exactly what happened to the woman at the well. That's the way we ought to, to, to live out the gospel. And so I ask you the question, why would you want to go back to the orphanage? You know, why would you want to go back to the old pattern of life when we've been loved that way? The thought is, is utterly baffling to the Apostle Paul. He basically says, look, going back to the law is a dead end. It's a joy-shriveling uh, thing. But that wasn't always, it wasn't always that way. You know, the Galatians had understood what it meant to come to Christ. They had lived for Christ a little, little while, uh, and they had had an experience, you know. Uh, they could look back and they could say, grace did something that the law could not do. Grace freed me uh, to love and, to, and flooded me with joy and, and gave me a home. And we welcomed those who were different. We embraced our enemies. We lived for, uh, free from all of our fears. We began to live as, in human flourishing. Uh, the constant tug of the world began to lose its grip. We sat tall in the saddle and saw the Holy Spirit stir. That's what happened to the Galatian church. And Paul says, why would you go back to the old sinful patterns? Why would you go back to the law? Why would you go back to those things? They'd gotten stuck. They were going back to observance of days and rituals. They were, they were going back to the law. Paul would have given anything. Would have given anything to see them not do that. So you need to know the background of the next paragraph here in verse 12 and following. Paul, Paul confronts them in the first 11, in 8 to 11 there. Paul says, look, you, you just can't do this. And then he pleads with them because he loves them. He, he begs them with a pastor's heart because he cares about them. But you need to know the background of how this text really works. What you don't read here directly in the text is that it had been a tough missions trip. Okay? When Paul came to Galatia, he was coming out of a hard missions trip. This is the mission, missionary journey where the Apostle Paul uh, had, had taken John Mark with him. And on that missionary journey, John Mark had abandoned the trip. Remember that? John Mark quit the team. This is also the missionary journey where Paul got sick. And what happened here is because Paul was sick, he went to the Galatian highlands to recover from his illness. He went up to Galatia. He went to that region to, to, to heal. His illness brought him into their homeland. And uh, apparently when he arrived there, uh, he had some sort of pitiful uh, disease. Something that, that, that 
Paul was probably not a man of, he was not a man probably of my size. Paul was a man much smaller than me, of a weaker frame, and uh, was not, was not a, a, a strong, vigorous uh, individual. Health-wise, strength-wise, size-wise. He was disease-ridden, but he preached to them. And he preached to them, and they had come to faith in Christ. They, the, the best historians and, and Bible scholars think he either had malaria or obviously some sort of an eye disease, perhaps, um, they talk about. But, but they, they, can't, they can't nail it down for sure. Whatever the ailment, Paul came to the Galatian region. He preached the gospel to them, but in his illness, he was a little bit of a, of a, of a trial for them, okay, um, to the Galatian church. In the ancient world, Diseases were often seen as a manifestation of some sort of demonic, demonic presence um, and, uh, or of an enemy's curse of some kind. And, and so at first their instinct is to hold Paul at arm's length. He's not normal. He's sick. Is this demon possession? Is this something that we need to be worried about? You know, uh, strangers with a disease were, were the cause for spitting, uh, for despising, for, for, you know, keeping them, uh, you know, you didn't roll out the red carpet for somebody who was sick. Okay, let's just put it that way. That's the, that's the gentle way to put that, okay? People would typically ridicule and spit and, you know, hold at arm's length. But they received Paul, look at verse 14. They received Paul as an angel of God. Their joy was great, not because of who Paul was, not because he was a sick, weak, uh, ill um, a missionary who had showed up on their doorsteps, but because the gospel had changed their lives that he preached. He preached to them and their lives were changed. And they were so delighted, look at what he says, that if possible, they would have gouged out their eyes and given them to him okay that's what makes people think that maybe paul's weakness was an eye problem or something something like that i think that maybe it could have been an eye issue by the way um it may have been because he couldn't see but it may have been a figure of speech too i would cut off my right arm you know all right you know, we say those kinds of things as figures of speech. Um, I'd give you the shirt off my back. You know, do we mean that we're literally going to take off our shirt and give it to somebody? No. It could have been, as Paul says, you would have gouged out your eyes for me, saying you would have given your right arm. Don't know. Don't, I just don't know, and I don't think anybody can define that. Well, that's one of those things that when you get to heaven, you can ask Paul, okay? And we'll get it straightened out then. Doesn't matter. What happened was the Galatians offered a transparent, tangible love um, because the gospel, for Paul, because the gospel had changed them. There was something different in their lives. The gospel flourishing had begun in their lives and in the church plant at New Hope Presbyterian in Galatia. And so things had changed. Fear, suspicion, uh, introversion, hostility had invaded uh, the camp now and it was because of the Judaizers. And so Paul in verse 17 says, the Judaizers, are, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. The, the Judaizers are, are, are puffing you up. 
They're, they're, they're saying nice things to you so that they can win you over. They're deceiving you. They're, they are, you know, they are inflating your ego. They're stroking, you know, your need for uh, affirmation or whatever it might be. They just want to put you on the registration list of their school and put you back under the pedagogy of the law, the pedagogos, as the Greek word is. It, it, it may seem like Paul's jealous, too, if you read this. You can read it in the light. You know, well, Paul's just jealous that these Judaizers come in and that they've kind of stolen his thunder and that they've got... That's not Paul's heart at all. It's not out of jealousy that Paul's talking to the Galatians here. Brothers, I entreat you. Paul says, like Jesus, I entered your world to serve you. I, I don't want you to mimic my appearance. I don't want you to in, mimic my interest, my politics. I, I want you to know my joy. I want you to enjoy the grace and the freedom that I have in Christ Jesus. I desire you to delight in the Lord Jesus as I do, to be transformed, and to join me in saying, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's what Paul desired. Let me tell you, that's what your pastors desire too. That you would not be like us, but that you would love us like we love Jesus. And that we might love Jesus together all the more. And that you might encourage us as we encourage you. And that day after day we would grow together in grace. Paul's attitude to the Galatians is markedly different from their attitude, their new attitude toward him. You know, he wants, he, he longs for them. He says, I'm like, it's like I am giving birth again. Never done childbirth. I have passed a kidney stone. Paul says, it is like being in childbirth. His longing for Christ to be formed in them. He, he, the pains that are, that are protracted and, and deep. He had spent himself leading the Galatians to faith in Jesus Christ. He didn't want them to end in the cul-de-sac of legalism. He didn't want them to end shut off from the grace of Christ. He didn't want them to go back to slavery again. He didn't want them to wreck their Christian lives on the shoal of legalism. Paul's agonizing over that. You know, something happens to people who enjoy the ministry of God's Word. The more they learn the Bible, the more they start to look like Jesus. I see it in you. I really do. The more I learn about the Scriptures, the more I feel like I look like Jesus. You start to think the things He thinks. You start to love the things that He loves. You start to do the things that He does. You know, you, you want to reflect Him. Sometimes we even suffer as He suffers. We ought to look like Jesus. We ought to more and more look like Jesus. We ought to be transformed. Christ ought to be, as he says in verse 19, formed in us. So Paul put it in verse 12. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also became as you are. Uh, that's Paul's mission statement. He, he develops it even more fully in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. But basically, he says to the, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, 
I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 1 Corinthians 9, 20 to 22. Paul says that I, I, I set aside my freedom from the law so that I could win my Jewish brothers. Not being under the law. I set aside that privilege. He said, I became like a Gentile, but I did not break God's law to be like a Gentile so that by all means, by any means, I could win those who, uh, who hear the gospel. I have become all things to all people that I might save some. Paul knew he didn't do it by his own effort to, by the way. He was a good Presbyterian. Okay, His theology didn't slip here. All right, just going to get that out there right now, okay? Paul cared about the gospel. He contextualized the gospel for the people he was working with. How do you contextualize the gospel today? How many non-Christians do you know? How many non-Christian friends do you have? How do you live for Christ in a non-Christian world? You work, you work with some non-Christians? How, how do you live for Christ in your workplace? Without compromising the law without, or the gospel, without compromising your relationship with Christ, how do you do that? Are you deliberately entering into relationships with those who may not know Christ so that you might win some for Christ? You see, the gospel is powerful. We don't have to be shrinking violence. We don't have to be afraid to share our faith. We have the power of the gospel standing behind us. That was Paul's strategy when he first visited the Galatians. He entered into their lives, and he, he practically became like a Galatian. I don't know. Did he pick up their speech patterns, you know? All right, I'm a Southerner. I know it. I speak like a Southerner. You know, I think like a Southerner. When we, went, when we moved to Baltimore, people would say to us, you're not from around here, are you? And we say with a smile on our face, no, nope. <laughs> you know. Am I so much identified with Christ that people talking to me will say, you're not from around here, are you? And that, yeah, I can answer no. I know and love Jesus. I'm in a relationship with him. I think that's, I think we need to contextualize the gospel. I think Paul shows his heart there. Paul knew how to do that. He helped the Galatians become like him as he was trying to be like Christ. He wasn't trying to clone himself. He wasn't trying to clone Christ in, you know, that, that kind of a legalistic way. But he says, be imitators of me as I am of Jesus Christ. Paul wanted the Galatians to know and to enjoy the freedom that he had as a son of God. Freedom from the legalism of godless religion. That's Paul's heart here. So this morning as we look at this text, what's the application? Do you have Paul's heart? First of all, do you have Paul's heart for the gospel of grace? And secondly, do you have Paul's heart to bring the gospel of grace to those who don't know the Savior? 
to help others become true worshipers of God, to help others to see what it means to live by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and that it's a wonderful thing, that it's a good thing. You know, Calvin said this. He said, he said if ministers wish to be something, let them labor to form Christ, not themselves and their hearers. Calvin is exactly right. My labor is that you would be like Jesus. That you would know him and that you would love him with all you have. That's the kind of spiritual formation that doesn't happen overnight. It, that's like the embryo that grows into an infant and then a child and then an adult. Cell needs to be added to cell, tissue to tissue, sinew to bone. The same way the Spirit gradually takes God's Word, uses God's Word to make us God's children and to make us who are God's children into God's sons, into mature believers in Jesus Christ. And you do that by knowing Jesus. And you know Jesus by the Word. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning to take the foolishness of preaching and to use it for its intended purpose, that we might be more like our Savior, that we would be those who know what it means to live in light of the gospel that we have believed and to take the gospel into the world in which we live and to apply it to every realm of creation that we as Christians might live with human flourishing in such a way that the gospel is beautiful to a world that is dying and without hope. Oh, so, Father, we pray that you would make us more like Jesus. It's in his name that we ask it. Amen. Amen.